Hard and cruel and bitter was the land that met his gaze. Before his feet the highest ridge of the Efel Dua fell steeply in great cliffs, down into a dark trough, on the further side of which there rose another ridge, much lower, its edge notched and jagged with crags like fangs that stood out against uh, stood out black against the red light behind them. It was the grim Morgai, the inner ring of the fences of the land, far beyond it, but almost straight ahead across a wide lake of darkness dotted with tiny fires. There was a great burning glow, and from it rose in huge columns of swirling smoke, dust red at the roots, black above where it merged into the billowing canopy that roofed in all the cursed land. Sam was looking at Orodurin. The Mountain of Fire. Hey there, Tolkieners. I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N. And we are Keep, Keep on Tolkien. Yes, indeed. Welcome back for episode 72. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it here. Here's some announcements first, guys. <laughs> yeah, so uh, just an announcement. We've got our merch now available at our merch store. Go check it out at keep-on-tolkien-podcast.tmil.com. Dot com. Yes, yes, yes. Very cool. Uh, T-Mail is a cool site. Um, yeah, we're very proud of our merch. Yeah, we're very proud of our merch, so check it out. More merch coming in the future. Yes, yes. But today, let's get into it. We're talking about what? Mordor. The realm of Mordor. Mordor. And we, I think I decided that Hugo Weaving has the best Mordor in the series. I think so. Yeah. I think it's fair to say. We cannot defend against both Isengard and Mordor. And Mordor. Mordor. But yeah, briefly, what is Mordor? So the name Mordor means dark lands in the uh, Sindarin language, and it's called Nargun by the dwarves, which also means the same. Yeah, and uh, geographically speaking, uh, it's the land east of Gondor, west of Rune, north of Khand and Harad. Yeah, Mordor is known for being the home base of Sauron in the Second and Third Ages in Middle-earth. That's, I think that's probably what most people know it as. Yeah, of course. Let's get into my, one of my favorite things ever here, some geography. Yeah, this is some of the interesting shit. I actually learned a lot about the geography of Mordor yeah. from, from uh, us doing this episode. Did I tell you that uh, me and our editor's team in eighth grade won the geography bee? No. Yeah. Hell yeah. Pretty cool, man. We, get, we, we got love this. geography. Got this on lockdown. Yeah. This is why this sense of this uh, section is so extensive. <laughs> <laughs> Couple of geography nerds here. Yep. So the geography of Mordor. So Mordor is surrounded on all three sides by mountains. Yeah, of course. The uh, So it's three sides of mountains, but two mountain ranges, weirdly enough. So the ones to the north are the Ash Mountains called Arid Lithui. Which we're going to be referred to them as Arid Lithui because that's how it most, mostly is referred to. Yeah, and then the mountains along the western edge and along the south are the Efelduath, the Mountains of Shadow. Of course. In Mordor, other than the mountain regions, is, dis- is uh, divided into three major geographical regions. What are those, Joel? So the three regions of Mordor are Udun, Gorgoroth, and Lithlad. 
Lithlide. Lithlide is the one I was least familiar with. Yeah, it's usually the one um, that people are least familiar with, yeah. So let's start with the Valley of Udun. Yeah. So this is essentially located in the northwestern corner of Mordor. If you look on a map, the northwestern corner, there's almost like a little circular region tucked up in that corner where the Black Gate is and all that. This would be the Valley of Udun. Yeah. And that's where Arid Lithui and Ethel Dueth nearly meet. But not quite. But not quite. Uh, Karen Winfonstead, our hero, rest in peace, uh, has uh, a possibly uh, an explanation for this in her, this geological formation in her Atlas of Middle-Earth for the formation of the Udun Valley. And we got an excerpt here from the Atlas of Middle-Earth. I think this is the first time we have ever pulled from the Atlas of Middle-Earth. So this is Karen's words. This is Karen's words. At the north end of Ethelduath, at its junction with Arid Lithui, lay a deep, circular valley ringed by sheer black, barren cliffs, Udun. Tolkien described the vale as being encircled by arms sent out by the two ranges. The symmetry of the valley suggests either a caldera or a ring dike. A caldera is the remnant of a volcano that has exploded and or collapsed in on itself. And a ring dike is a circular ridge of cooled igneous rock surrounding a deep valley. It occurs when a round block subsides into an underlying magma chamber and the fluid of magma is forced up around the edges. Often the upwelling is intermittent, leaving passes such as the Eisenmouth and Kirith Gorgor. Either process could have been resulted in the features shown by Tolkien, although compared to our world, either would have been gigantic. Imagine the original height of a volcano with a 45-mile base. This colossus would have towered almost 29,000 feet. In contrast, Mount Doom was only 7 miles across and stood at 4,500 feet. Yeah, 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 and we didn't forget about you uh, non-Americans here. So that that huge volcano that she's talking about, 45 miles wide, would have been 72.4 kilometers. What else we got here? 29,000 feet. That's about the height of Mount Everest. That's like 83 feet short of Mm -hmm. Mount Everest. That would be 8,839.2 meters, guys. Yeah, so essentially, if this uh, circle valley of Udun was created by a, a volcano, it would have been a colossal-sized volcano, yes. way bigger than Mount Doom. Yeah, Mount Doom is only 11 kilometers in, <laughs> in, in width. Oh, my God. Yeah, and a little fun fact, fun fact that Danny found, actually. Yeah. Largest volcano known to uh, us is Olympus Mons yeah. on Mars. Mm-hmm. On the planet Mars. And that just means Mount Olympus. And guess how big this fucker is, you guys? This is ridiculous. 72,000 feet high. That's roughly 22,000 meters. That's insane. Yeah, the base is about the area of the U.S. state of Arizona. It is a huge mountain, and I think you're saying it even, like, breaches the atmosphere? Yeah, it sticks out of the atmosphere. So it's dormant now, but if it ever erupted, it would be uh, pretty insane. Spewing lava straight into space? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense why they'd call it Mount Olympus. Yeah. The, it's a, it, the, the tip of it goes above the atmosphere. The fabled, if you're not familiar with Greek mythology, the fabled home of the gods. Yeah, so let's get into some features about the, uh, the Valley Udun. of Udun. Udun. So the northern end uh, is fortified by the Moranon, the Black Gate, and the Towers of Teeth. 
Yeah, the Towers of the Teeth are also known as Karkost and Narkost. And those are essentially on either side of the Black Gates, right? Yes. On that gap there. These were originally built by the men of Gondor, but they fell into disrepair because of the Great Plague and a whole bunch of other shitty things that were happening to Gondor at the time. Mm -hmm. And later, they get claimed by Sauron, as we know. Yeah. So the southern end is the Eisenmouth, also called the Karak Angren. Yes, yes. It's a narrow pass between two spurs of the mountains, Eridlithui in the east and Efelduath in the west. Yeah, and this path leads to the plateau of Gorgoroth, and the pass is heavily fortified with forts and towers protruding from the steep slopes on either side. So the pass itself has great mounds of earth on either side that are spanned by a bridge. And we have an excerpt here about this from The Return of the King, The Land of Shadow. For out of the main range there sprang a high barren spur, thrusting eastward like a wall. To meet it, there stretched out from the gray and misty northern range of Arid Lithui, a long jutting arm. And between the ends there was a narrow gap, Karak Angrin, the Eisenmouth, beyond which lay the deep dale of Udun. So that's from the other perspective. Gotcha. Going the other way. Okay. Yeah. So if you're if you're going because this is from Return of the King mm-hmm. and they came from Minas Morgul, so they right. would have been approaching Udun from the south. From the south instead of like from the Black Gate. From the Gates. north is we we kind of talked about it from the Black Gateway. Yep. Right, gotcha. Yep. Okay. Okay. Getting multiple perspectives. So we got Gorgoroth on the south, Udun in the north. So speaking of, let's talk a little bit about Gorgoroth now. Yes, Gorgoroth. So Gorgoroth is the high plain or plateau in the northwestern portion of Mordor. So the very northwestern corner is that circular valley of Udun. Mm -hmm. And then just past that a little further into Mordor when it all opens up, it opens up into Gorgoroth. Yep. And this, so the borders are the foothills of Arid Lithui, that's the eastern boundary, and the Morgai, which is the black fence of Mordor, and that's the western boundary. Yeah, the Morgai were essentially a smaller mountain range that runs parallel with the Efelduath on the western range, and it's uh, running north and south. Yep, it's like, yeah, it's literally a fence. It's like, so you have the Efelduath, which is the main mountain range, mm-hmm. and uh, that's kind of like more what you'd think of a regular moderate mountain range in, yeah. as far as like steepness goes. And then but the- then the more, there's a trough. Yeah. And there's a, the more guy like shoot up in a steep ass. They're like foothills, yep. but they're like sheer they're sharp, and steep. Yep. And uh, Karen Wynn Fonstad, I didn't have this in the outline, believes that that was a, a slip strike fault ah, that okay. created that phenomenon. So many, so many actual real things that could have done. That. Yeah, I love, I love how how the possibilities are all coming together. Like, yeah, Karen is so good at that too. It's it's so much fun. Yeah, and just the fact that she can relate these things to actual geographic occurrences also is just once again just it's awesome. It's a it's amazing that that Tolkien would know to write something that is somewhat realistic. Yeah, I wonder how much he knew about ge- uh, geology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Morgul Road that we know of from the Return of the King with Frodo and Sam, this road crosses uh, between the Efelduath and the Morgai, so it kind of goes down that trough, right? It goes, it goes straight across the trough. Yep. Across the trough, yep. okay. So it spans the trough. Mm-hmm. And Sam and Frodo, yeah, that's, this is how they cross it. Yeah, and we got a little excerpt. I think this is from Return of the King, right? Yep, this is Return of the King, The Land of Shadow um, by Joel here. Here we go. 
The eastern faces of the Efelduath were sheer, falling in cliff and precipice to the black trough that lay between them and the inner ridge. The short way beyond the way meeting, after another steep incline, a flying bridge of stone leapt over the chasm and bore the road across the tumbled slopes of the Morgai. Yes, yes, yes. Another thing, another thing that this area is known for is that the mountains of Mordor appear black. To, to look at them is to see them black, right? Okay. So Karenwin Fonstadt, <laughs> our hero, she hypothesized what could cause this phenomenon geologically. Yeah. So here's another excerpt from the Atlas of Middle-earth, Middle-earth uh, some of Karen's own words. Climbing the mountains, the hobbits were surrounded by constant examples of volcanic rock, which made the range predominantly black. Gabbros may have been thrust up, basalts extruded at lower levels or exposed in necks and dikes. All could have given the black appearance. Along the winding stair, the hobbits passed, quote, tall piers and jagged pinnacles, great crevices and fissures, end quote. These could have resulted from columnar, columnar or columnar, weathering of basalts yeah look at that putting real world uh explanations to Context these formations to i love this we Got get to it. we get to one part in here where she was actually wrong and it was proven by the middle earth the history of middle earth series oh really yeah we'll get into it in okay okay <laughs> yeah so there is a gap in the mountains to the south that leads into the region of lithlad this is the plains of ashes yeah uh and gorgoroth is a plateau We've got a little definition in case you're not aware of what a plateau is if you're not a geography nerd. Yeah, plateau is a usually extensive land area having a relatively level surface raised sharply above some adjacent land on at least one side. And we've got another Atlas of Middle-Earth quote here about uh, Gorgoroth. Its level would have been higher than that of Udun and the plains of Lithlad. Tremendously thick layers of flood basalt were deposited through years of upwelling from the many fissures that pocketed the landscape. These were supplemented by flows from volcanoes, most of which had previously been active but had left only the skeletons, necks and dikes, slow mounds, and in the southeast where erosion was more advanced, mesas and buttes. So uh, the plain uh, or the plateau plain is basically a plain uh, mm-hmm. just in high elevation. The plain is mostly barren, uh, but in the foothills of the Efelduath and the Morgai, there's some fucked up plant life. Yeah, we got an excerpt here from The Return of the King, The Land of Shadow, talking about some of this nasty shit. Mordor was a dying land, but it was not yet dead. And here and there, things still grew harsh and twisted and bitter, struggling for life. In the glens of the Morgai on the other side of the valley, low scrubby trees lurked and clung. Coarse gray grass tussocks fought with the stones and withered mosses crawled on them and everywhere great writhing tangled brambles sprawled. Some had long stabbing thorns, some hooked barbs that rent like knives. The sullen, shriveled leaves of a past year hung on them, grating and rattling in the sad airs. But their, <laughs> but their maggot-ridden buds were only just opening. God, that's gross. Yeah, I found that excerpt and I was like, I gotta put that in here. I like how fucked up the plant life is. Maggot 
ridden buds. Yeah. Oh, God. Because yeah. it kind of seems like there used to be other plant life here. Like, it says there's leaves from a past season. Right. So it looks like, uh, I don't know, maybe the Mordor button is right. Maybe there were trees and shit, and then uh, when the mountain came up, you know? Yeah, it almost makes it seem like there still is actively life kind of trying. Trying to be, yep. yeah. Yeah. Because, like, with uh, leaves from the previous year, I guess that would imply that there were leaves mm-hmm. just a year ago. Yeah. So let's get into some features of the Gorgoroth Plateau. Yeah. So within the plateau, we have Orodruin, which is Mount Doom, of course. Probably the most prominent feature. The most prominent feature. <laughs> so this uh, mountain, Mount Doom, was made by Melkor in the First Age for unknown reasons. But it's confirmed in the History of Middle-Earth, Volume 12, uh, peoples and places of middle earth peoples and places of middle earth basically before middle earth volume 12 was published karen Wynne fonstad hypothesized in the atlas of middle earth that mount doom was formed as a result of a cataclysm cataclysm of the war of wrath and it was the same one that drained the inland sea of helicare remember that from like year of the trees bullshit yeah. Um, and this was called a, te- a tectonic uplift. Yeah, this all made sense. Right? That was her theory. Yeah, yeah, but then it turns out that it was more of a deus ex machina and God literally made them out. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> it was Melkor just made it for whatever reason. So Mordor. She had this like beautiful complex explanation of how this may have happened. Yeah. And then Home Home Volume 12 comes out and they're just like, nope, nope. Melkor did it. Melkor did it just like Melkor made the Misty Mountains higher. Just, yep. He just did it. He just did that. That's an easy way to explain away certain geographies, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, Melkor just did that. Melkor did it. That was back in the first age. Yeah, he did that. Yeah, that's what he did for unknown reasons. So Mordor, the Darklands, got its name from the ash spewn forth from the eruptions from Mount Doom. Yeah, and we got a s- spooky little uh, uh, excerpt here about Mount Doom for you. Ever and anon, the furnaces far below its ashen cone would grow hot, and with a great surging and throbbing, pour forth rivers of molten rock from chasms in its sides. Some would flow blazing towards Baradur down great channels. Some would wind their way into the stony plain until they cooled and lay like twisted dragon shapes vomited from the tormented earth. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that volcano's just making things gross. Yeah, that was from Return of the King, by the way. Tower of Kirithungal chapter. Sounds nasty, right? Yeah, is it Mordor, I'm just getting the impression it's just a nasty place. It's a fucked up place to for be. nasty people with nasty plant life and shit. <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's, just, it's just nasty. Yeah, it is populated mostly by orcs and slaves, <laughs> so. Yeah, it's not a great place to be. Yeah. So uh, Sauron chose to fortify Mordor because he needed the fires of Orodruin to forge his one master ring. And do other sorceries, And apparently. do other sorceries with it, of course. Like, yeah. well, why not? That seems like the ultimate forge, apparently, if you can make the one ring there. Yeah. It's where the earth is hottest, bubbling up. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and it's also, this is when it took the name of Amon Amarth, Mount Doom, after the eruption, after its eruption in uh, 3429 of the Second Age. And this is what signaled Sauron's attack on Gondor. Yeah, remember right before um, the uh, last alliance, uh, they took Minas Ithil for a little bit and Anarion was down there fighting him? Yeah, yeah. That was that time. That was when it got the name Mount Doom. Gotcha, okay. So yeah, last alliance took place a few years later. Another feature we got, this is a cool one that's not oft talked about. No. Sauron's Road. Yeah, Sauron's Road. So this is a broad road paved with ash and rubble that runs from Baradur to Samoth Naur, which is 
the cracks of doom in yeah in the mountain doom mm-hmm. the road was uh at one point flanked by smoking smoking chasms uh, and this was ma- made it one of the only easy ways to traverse Gorgoroth. Yeah, God, what a fucking awful place this is. The road reached a long causeway at the eastern foot of the mountain, and then the road uh, around the mountain raises about 3,000 feet, about 914 meters, uh, with the causeway raising another 1,000 feet, or over, a little over 300 meters. Yeah, so that makes uh, a grand total of forty five hundred feet to the to the peak. Yeah, an that's, ascent. That's yeah, a long walk. Thirteen hundred uh, meters. Yeah, a little over thirteen hundred. That's a long fucking walk. Yeah. So we've got an excerpt here about the road from the Return of the King, Land of Shadow. He did not know it, but he was looking at Sauron's road from Baradur to Samothnaur, the Chambers of Fire. Out of the Dark Tower's huge western gate, it came over a deep abyss by a vast bridge of iron. And then passing into the plain, it ran for a league between two smoking chasms and so reached a long sloping causeway that led up the mountain's eastern side, thence turning and encircling all its wide girth from the south to the north, it climbed at last high in the upper cone, but still far from the reeking summit to a dark entrance that gl- that gazed back east straight to the window of the eye in Sauron's shadowed, mantled fortress. God, Mordor is just so spooky. Yeah, like, what the fuck, man? So speaking of Barad-dur, let's talk about that next, because that's another feature prominent, of Gorgoroth. Prominent feature. Another very prominent feature. Sauron's tower, his home base, his massive fortress. Yeah. The Dark Tower. Yeah, it's known as the Dark Tower, the stronghold of Sauron, of course. And it's it's made of nearly unbreakable material, it's said. Yeah. And it appears black. Yeah, possibly carved from a mountain of iron or adamant. Yeah, and I had a little Tolkieneering thing here that we, because we just recently talked about. In the Casa Doom episode. In the Casa Doom episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got a hold of a lot of the Mithril. Yeah, from Khazad Doom. From Khazad Doom. Yeah, he had the orcs plunder Khazad Doom for all of its Mithril hordes, and he took almost all of it. Yeah, so I'm thinking maybe he used that to reinforce Baradur. Yeah, it, it's stated that uh, Sauron was known to covet Mithril and that he got a lot of it, but we never know what that ever got put into we, yeah we don't see any explicitly like mithril anything coming out of no Mordor. no that's what i'm saying he threw it all into the tower i think yeah i think that's a i think that's a fair assessment we had some suspicions that maybe he used the mithril for the foundations as well of yeah, baradur the unbreakable foundations yeah yeah what better unbreakable thing to use to make your foundations than some sort of mithril or mithril like ore oh, yeah. we, we started to suspect whether or not he used mithril and iron to together to make some sort of an mithril iron alloy yeah because if he were going to use any other metal to make an alloy it'd probably be iron because that's just yeah. seems to be what he uses yeah it's the most workable most common anyway yeah some fun tolkieneering yeah what did sauron do with all his mithril what do you guys think what do you guys think yeah let us know uh log on to the discord put it in the tolkieneering section yeah, yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more about Baradur later, but this brings us to a fun segment we've got for you. Yeah, this is uh, built off an old joke, uh, which <laughs> most of our, our fun segments are. Um, when we were talking about the Last Alliance, when we talked about that they camped at the Plains of Gorgoroth. Yeah, what an awful place to camp. We said uh, we thought we thought it would be funny if Gorgoroth was a state park. And we were <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. So this is an ad, um, a radio ad <laughs> for Gorgoroth State Park, you guys. That's right. 
That's right. Enjoy this, please. We hope you enjoy. We hope you'll be inspired to visit this lovely state park. Visit Gorgoroth State Park, guys. <laughs> Middle Earth. Middle Earth. Vast and beautiful. Vast. Beautiful. But there is no place like the rugged southeast. Southeast. Come join us. Join us. For the adventure of a lifetime. In Gorgoroth State Park. Gorgoroth State Park. In the land of Mordor, where adventure lies. Adventure. Come and see. Come and see. The arid plateau of Gorgoroth. Arid plateau. Camp in the foothills of the Morgai. After a breakfast of local orcish cuisine. Orcish cuisine. Challenge yourself to some of the best rock climbing in all of Arda. All Arda. Come and see. Come and see. Gorgoroth State Park. Gorgoroth State Park. Take a long hike in the foothills of the Ash Mountains. Ash Mountains. Bathe yourself in our oily mountain streams. Bathe yourself. See the locals and how they live. Come on, you rats. Put your backs into it. Dig those ditches. We have work to do. Come on, maggots. I'll report you to Lugboos. See? See. The utter majesty of Ordruin. The mountain of fire. Mountain of fire. Take a romantic stroll down Sauron's road. Sauron's road. Hold hands as you cross the summith nower. Hold hands. Share a kiss and a selfie at the crack of doom. The crack of doom. Cuddle up next to one of our many lava-filled cracks, fissures, and chasms. Because remember, Mordor is for lovers. Mordor is for lovers. Enjoy all the greatest amenities that Northwest Mordor has to offer. Amenities. Eat at Ugluk's world-famous bistro at the top of Baradur. Dine on five-star elven food prepared by Mordor's many elven slaves. Elven slaves. Enjoy our state-of-the-art healthcare facilities. State-of-the-art. <laughs> Look at him. Can't take his medicine, boys. Take our ATV excursion up to the Eisenmouth and behold the Black Gate, one of Mordor's most famous landmarks. Mordor's landmarks. Gorgoroth State Park. Gorgoroth State Park. Come and see. Come and see. Now let's hear from a longtime visitor to Gorgoroth State Park. Gorgoroth State Park. Hey there, guys. It's me, the Witch King. As you may know, I make my home out east there, over in Minas Morgul, you know what I mean? But I travel to Gorgoroth regularly for work, and let me tell you what, it really is the most beautiful gosh darn place I have ever been. Just look at the place, you know what I mean? It's a friggin' paradise! Natural oil tar pits, wild trolls roaming here and there. Oh gosh, I really love Gorgoroth. And remember gang, more doors for lovers. Come and see... Come and see. Gorgoroth State Park. Gorgoroth State Park. In Mordor, where adventure lies. Where adventure lies. This ad was paid for by Mordor Board of Tourism. Oi! I thought I told you Megan to get back to work. 
and that's that guys thanks for uh listening hopefully you like that <laughs> honestly if i'm being honest i think that was uh actually one of my favorites of the little bits that we've done that was very fun i enjoyed that a lot that was a good that was all maybe just because it was one of our inside jokes we've had for a while <laughs> gorgoroth state park bathe in the oily water save yourself <laughs> i was just like i remember writing i was when i was writing that i was like what does a stupid ass travel commercial sound like <laughs> And that's what we came up with. Yeah, so we hope you guys enjoyed that little bit. We had some fun with that one. Yes, we did. Gorgoroth. Yeah, because we were talking about Gorgoroth. Well, let's jump into another feature. Well, this oh. is a this is the third geographic region. This is the third geographic region. So we already talked about uh, Udun. Udun. And Gorgoroth. And Gorgoroth. And, and now, now we get to Lithlad, the Ash Plains, and that's Cinderin. Yeah, so this is south of Arid Lithwi and east of Gorgoroth. So this area is the largest geographical region in Mordor. And this is like less of what you'd think of when you think of Mordor. And uh, yeah, we have a little excerpt about that from The Return of the King, the Land of Shadow chapter. Neither he nor Frodo knew anything of the great slave-worked fields away south in this wide realm, beyond the fumes of the mountain by the dark, sad waters of Lake Nirnin nor of the great roads that ran away east and south to tributary lands from which the soldiers of the tower brought long wagon trains of goods and booty and fresh slaves. Horse got to get there. I love that. Elven slaves. Elven slaves in Gorgoroth <laughs> State Park. Like that's a selling point? <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, always he's into slavery, guys. It sucks. But, it's, you know, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. But yeah, so it seems like uh, there was actually some things grown. Slave-worked fields away south. Yeah, this is actually the most fertile region of Mordor. Over in Lithland, uh, next to Lake Nirnin. Yeah, the soil there was uh, full of ash and also many highly weathered rocks, adding to the fertility of the soil. I suppose that would make sense. You think of, of Mordor as a barren place, but generally volcanic ash is pretty fertile, isn't mm-hmm. it? Oh, yeah. So Sauron used the land to feed his armies, and the dry land farming was undertaken by Sauron's many slaves. And we've got an excerpt here from the Atlas of Middle-earth. The plateau, Gorgoroth, was barren, and had all Mordor been that formation, Sauron would have little to feed his countless troops. But conditions were somewhat better in Lithlad, the Ash Plain. There, the flows of more solid material were apparently less or were mostly eroded. If the rock there were highly weathered, uh, the resulting soil would have been quite fertile. In the semi-arid climate, water was in short supply, for the bitter sea of Nirnin, with its interior drainage, was salty. Still, a recent deposition of ash would have helped uh, with conservation of water, for ash is highly effective mulch, reducing evaporation, uh, and that would allow dry land farming in the, quote, great slave-worked fields, end quote. Yeah, so while it was dry, not a lot of water, apparently having a volcano nearby would have been pretty advantageous for farming in the Yeah, it part. keeps the moisture in the soil, apparently. Yeah, so let's talk about a few features of Lithlad. Oh my god, this pissed me off more than anything about this whole fucking episode here. <laughs> yeah. There are four rivers in Mordor. But none of them have names. They're all unnamed rivers. What the fuck, Tolkien? Come on, man. 
So we got two of those rivers flowing from the north out of Arid Lithui. We got one flowing from the west out of the Ethel Duath, and then one flowing from the south out of the Ethel Duath as well. Yeah, because when it remember, swings, yeah. Yeah, Ethel Duath does that 90 degree thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the waters were said to be poisonous, most likely salty, and all flow into the also salty Sea of Nernan. Yeah, what a shitty place. How can you... You can't water plants with seawater, can you? No. Not that I know of. I'm not a farmer, but I don't think so. <laughs> uh, let's get into the Sea of Nernan a little bit. This is also called Lake Nernan. Yeah, but that takes us into... Uh, we got a hot take here. We got a hot take here. So the, the Lake Lake Nernan, Sea Nernan, there is a difference. So there's, a, there's this ongoing lake versus inland sea debate that really bothers me. Some people say that the Caspian Sea is the largest, quote, lake in the world. But we know this is total bullshit, right? Because I'm gonna my hot take here, lakes are fresh water, guys. Yeah. All right. If it's brackish water, it's an estuary or a fucking swamp. If it's salty, it's a sea. You there understand? You, there you go. That's it. And I, I say that because, of course, I am biased, but Lake Superior reigns supreme. We have the largest lake of the world in Minnesota. Here we go. Yeah. I mean, personally I would consider it a, a freshwater sea, but technically because it lacks salt, it would be a lake. Yeah. Technically, by that technical term. And by this by this logic great the great salt lake not a lake it's an inland sea inland sea salt lake city change your name inland sea city that's right sons of bitches yeah now that 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 rant is out of the way total bullshit total bullshit lake superior is the largest lake in the world suck at everyone else (laughs) nirnan so nirnan is cinderin for dark waters or sad waters and i would be pretty sad next to this inland sea too oh yeah just salty I imagine yeah. it's just incredible. It's it does say incredibly salty as well. Incredibly, not just salty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was also called the dark waters or sad waters because the waters were said to literally be dark, dirty, and incredibly salty. salty. Yep. The area around uh, was mostly populated by Sauron's slaves. Yeah, the region was gifted to the freed slaves of Mordor by King Elisar after the fall of Sauron at the end of the Third Age. Yeah. So apparently that that realm was still somewhat habitable. Yeah, they gave it to the slaves. Nice of him. Um, let's get into some of these. Uh, so Mordor is all about uh, security and lockdown, right? So it's got a lot of it's got a lot of strongholds. So let's talk about some of those. Yeah, some of these I, w- I didn't even really know about. Yeah, let's get to the first one. This is uh, we're familiar with. This is the the Tower of Kirithungal. Yeah, so this is Cinderin for Spider's Cleft or Spider's Pass. Yeah, or Spider's, Spider's Pass. Either way, and this is the tower that guards the pass of Kirithungal naturally. The mm-hmm. mountain pass that leads from the Morgul Vale through the Ethel Duath into Mordor. And the giant spider Shelob is known to dwell in that pass. Naturally. Originally called Kirith Duath, with, uh, Pass of the Shadow. And this is the tower, of course, where Frodo was imprisoned after being captured by orcs. And we got a little excerpt from The Return of the King, the Tower of Kirith Ungol. Sam stood aghast, for now, looking to his left... He could see the tower of Kirith Ungol in all its strength. The horn that he had seen from the other side was only its utmost turret. Its eastern face stood up in three great tiers from a shelf in the mountain wall far below. Its back was to a great cliff behind from which it jutted out in pointed bastions, one above the other, diminishing as they rose with sheer sides of cunning masonry that looked north, east, and southeast. 
About the lower tier, 200 feet below where Sam now stood, there was a battlement wall enclosing a narrow court. Its gate upon the near southeastern side opened on a broad road, the outer parapet of which ran upon the brink of a precipice until it turned southward and went winding down into the darkness to join the road that came over the pass. Indeed. Uh, that sounds pretty scary. Yeah, it sounds like it's pretty big on the eastern side. Mm-hmm. Three, uh, three tiers, they said. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty big. It's bigger than, for whatever reason, I always imagine it to be. Yeah, and something you might not have known about this um this tower is that it was originally built by the men of gondor after the last alliance to keep his evil ser- the evil servants of sauron from using the morgul pass it seems like most of the strongholds in mordor were built by gondor, gondor. outside yeah. of Beradur itself mm-hmm. you say that's the only one yeah so we've got a uh, excerpt here about this from the return of the king as he gazed at it suddenly sam understood almost with a shock that this stronghold had been built not to keep enemies out of Mordor, but to keep them in. It was indeed one of the works of Gondor long ago, an eastern outpost of the defenses of Athelion, made when, after the last alliance, the men of Westerness kept watch on the evil land of Sauron where his creatures still lurked. Yeah, they had fucking Mordor on lockdown. Yes, they did. And this in this next stronghold, I had never even friggin' heard of. Yeah, I had not either. So next, we're going to talk about the stronghold known as Dorthang. Dorthang, and that's a castle on the north end of the Fel Duath, where the range juts out to create the spur of mountains that create the borders of Udun. Yeah, with Gorgoroth to the south. So this is essentially just on the northern border of Gorgoroth, on the on the Gorgoroth side of the mountains. Yep, yep. And uh, there's a road that leads there from the Tower of Kirithungal in the south. And there's another road that leads along the southern side of the spur to the Eisenmouth. And also, yes, this one, an- another one built by Gondor after the last alliance. Yeah, they just built stronghold after stronghold in here. They wanted to make sure nobody came back to Mordor. Yeah. Uh, next... Uh, stronghold that we're going to talk about next major feature is the black gate oh very famous very famous also called the moranin yeah which is cinderin so these are of course the heavily this is of course the heavily fortified gate that blocks the pass of kirith gorgor where the efeldua and the arid luthwi nearly meet just north of the valley of udun yeah, this is really considered the main entrance to the land of Mordor, because mm-hmm. it's really the only entrance to Mordor that faces civilization. Yeah, everything else, <laughs> yeah, the, the, then you've just got the open eastern side. Yeah, which is uh, mostly arid, uh, desertish regions, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Moranin was built by Sauron in the year, around the year uh, Second Age 1000, when he chose to make Mordor his stronghold. Yeah, it was flanked by the Towers of the Teeth, which were already there. Yes, it's Narcos and Carcos. You remember them from earlier. Yeah, them, those so. were the ones that were originally built by the men of Gondor after the last alliance. Yep. And now he's just repurposing them for his own. Yeah. The Moranin was actually breached by the last alliance just after the Battle of Daggerlad in uh, SA-3434. Yeah, that was during the last alliance when they finally busted their way into Mordor. Yep. I think it's the only time that's ever happened. Yes. Yeah, so this region was occupied by Gondorians until the end of the second millennium of the Third Age. Uh, This is when the men of Gondor had abandoned the Moranin, and it was possibly taken back by the Witch King when he returned to Mordor around this time in 1980 of the Third Age. What would that sound like, Joel? Hmm? What would it sound like when the Witch King took over the Moranin? You're the voice of the Witch King. 
Oh, geez, this sure is a great place to set up camp right here. <laughs> I love, uh, of all the characters I've created, Joel's the Witch King is my favorite. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, another thing I didn't know is that this, uh, that the Moranin can be opened either at Sauron's will straight up or with a magical password, apparently. Black gates open with a magic password? That's what it says right here in the two towers, and you're about to read it. <laughs> let's, let's get to it. None could pass the teeth of Mordor and not feel their bite unless they were summoned by Sauron or knew the secret passwords that would open the Moranin, the Black Gate of his land yeah dude straight up know the password get in know the password get on in there what if it was uh just a parody the doors of durin and the <laughs> password was enemy the, say enemy and enter yeah speak enemy speak enemy and enter all right let's get to another stronghold here this one's very important as well yeah, this is a pretty famous one i'm sure everyone will recognize it's the- not technically in mordor either no, but it is occupied by Mordor most of the time. It's occupied land, yeah. Yeah, so we're talking about the stronghold of Minas Morgul. And this is the westernmost outpost of Mordor. Like we said, not even technically in Mordor. Yeah. It, it guards the western side of the pass of Kirith This is the dwelling place of the Nazgul, Ooh. commanded by none other than the Witch King of Angmar. Yes, yes, yes. And this was originally named Minas Ethel, the Tower of the Moon, built by Isildur in the late Second Age. And it used to shine with the light of the moon, like literally the the, yeah. the stone that it was made of. It would of absorb the moonlight and reflect and, and it. Yeah. Reflect it back in like this pure, pretty white hue. But that that hue of light has kind of changed in later years. And we've got an uh, excerpt here from the two towers, the stairs of Kirithungul. All was dark about it, earth and sky, but it was lit with light. Not the imprisoned moonlight welling through the marble walls of Minas Ethel long ago, Tower of the Moon, fair and radiant in the hollow of the hills, paler indeed than the moon ailing in some slow eclipse was the light of it now, wavering and blowing like a noisome exhalation of decay, a corpse light, a light that illuminated nothing. In the wall and the tower windows showed like countless black holes looking inward into emptiness but the topmost course of the tower revolved slowly first one way and then another a huge ghostly head leering into the night that sounds spooky as fuck yeah that's another feature i for, i always forget that the it topmost mo- yeah, tower the top literally part, it moves back and forth literally rotates like looking back and forth over the pass Yep. And I love the description of corpse light. I thought that was appropriate. A corpse light. A light that illuminates it. Nothing. Illuminates nothing. Yeah. And of course, this uh, Minas Ithil fell to the Witch King in the year Third Age 2002 after a two-year siege. Yeah, it was a bloody battle. But uh, after that, it was forever after a huge garrison of orcs and other evil creatures like the Nazgul, as we know. Where were you in 2002, Joel? Where were you when... Where were you? <laughs> when Minas Ethel fell? Yeah, where were you when Minas Ethel fell to the Nazgul? <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, talk about the final and most famous stronghold in Mordor. Yes. The one and only Barad-dûr. Yes, and that is Sauron's main fortress and stronghold. Might have heard of it. Has a few names. Yeah, Barad-dûr being the Cinderin one for Dark Tower. And our favorite name probably. Yeah. Lugbors. 
Which the, is black speech for the Dark Fortress or prison. Then we got Taros Luna, which is Quenya for Dark Tower. And then there's also another Quenya term for it, which is Luna Turco, which is Dark Stronghold. I had never heard either of those Quenya terms before. No, and I found those apparently they are not in the text, but they are uh, elsewhere in Tolkien's writings. Okay, okay. So Sauron began the construction of Baradur around 1000 of the Second Age, and it took a total of 600 years to build this. Yeah, it was uh, only finished in the year 1600 essay when the One Ring was forged. Mm, yes, the power of the ring was used to finish the construction of the fortress. It's also We also know that it was used to make the foundations, right? Yep. And uh, the fortress could not be destroyed completely while the one ring still remained. Yeah, always those foundations. It was That was the part of it that always stood. Yeah, it was destroyed for the first time in the year uh, 3441 of the Second Age after Isildur cut the ring from Sauron's hand. They raised the tower, but the foundations were unbreakable and remained intact, which is what suspected us, which is what caused us to suspect... Me through. That maybe he had some mithril that he used to make the foundations. Are we and just then, are we just joining this like let's let's speculate about mithril train that apparently the the community is on right now because of the show? Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think this is a much more fun way to speculate about mithril rather than than what they did than what they did that stupid Silmaril shit. No, yeah, we're better than the show. No, well, I mean we're just speculating no. what 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 Sauron did with his mithril because he had a ton of it. Yeah, he had a bunch. We know of it. for a fact he had a ton of it. What do you yeah. use it for? I, and we I suspect. He, yeah, we'll have to see if the years match up of like when he looted. Uh, so the fact that the tower was torn down would make me think the tower would not have been made of mithril at this time. Mm-hmm. But perhaps the foundations were. And if I'm remembering correctly, the fall of Moria didn't happen until the Third Age. So that's when he would have gotten his major influx of mithril. Maybe he rebuilt the tower using mithril, mithril in the Third Age. And the only thing that could bring it down was when the ring was destroyed, yeah. Bring it down, bring it down. Bring, bring it down, bring it down. <laughs> Somebody said that at the convention yesterday. I don't that know was, what they were talking about. Was that, that you? Was, I think that was me. I can't remember. I can't remember what the context. Was. There was <laughs> a lot funny. of nerdery going on at the convention. We were, if you guys didn't know, this is we're recording this the day after we went to Twin Cities Con. Yeah, it was really fun. It was a fantastic experience. We got to uh, take a photo with uh, Sam. Uh, Sam Aston, Sean Aston, and. Uh, <laughs> And, and Elijah uh, Wood. Frodo Wood, yes. And Frodo Wood. Yes. Yeah, and uh, we d- we saw their panel, too. They were both very delightful. Yeah, they were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, be, we'll have a little more content coming about it, coming out with about that a little bit later, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but reconstruction of uh, Baradur actually began again in Third Age 2951, and that was under the instruction of the Nazgul. Mm, so it was- Could you com- imagine the Nazgul being your foreman? Yeah, and they completed- particularly quickly they completed it two years later yeah in ta 2953 really scared of the nazgul those slaves super efficient apparently Mm -hmm. and the top section of the tower had the window of the eye so this is essentially what inspired the big flaming eye from the movies that we see that's not canon usually it's just a big tower with a window with a window that like glows red right Mm -hmm. and it's called the window of the eye yeah we get into that we we in the, a little bit later, we talk about Peter's oh, okay. influence. Oh, yeah, gotcha. Okay, I'm jumping first, the gun. I'm jumping the gun. It's all good. It's all good. But first, we got an excerpt uh, from you, actually. From the Fellowship of the Ring, the breaking of the Fellowship. Indeed. Then at last, his gaze was held. Wall upon wall, battlement upon battlement, black, immeasurably strong, mountain of iron, gate of steel, tower of adamant. He saw it. 
Barad-dûr, fortress of Sauron, all hope left him, and he suddenly felt the eye. There was an eye in the dark tower that did not sleep. He knew that it had become aware of his gaze. Ooh. That's spooky. Yeah, and that's when he's sitting on the seeing uh the chair, the right? chair of Amun Sul, yeah. Yeah, this is uh around the breaking of the fellowship, right? Yeah, Amun Hen, mm-hmm. sorry, no. Amun Hen. Yeah. Um yeah, so like let's talk about this for a little second. What do we think of Peter Jackson's interpretation of the eye of Sauron? Yeah, he made it more like a sentinel eye and that huge flaming eye atop of the tower when in the book it was a little more ominous almost yeah it was just kind of a red room that was like illuminated but like, you knew there was someone in there watching watching you. yeah yeah that, that that is almost a little more ominous than just like a big flaming eye. yeah i see why for the movie they made the big flaming eye because it looks fucking cool right you yeah know? it, it looks you know it looks cool oh there's sauron yeah i kind of i, I kind of like the idea of he's just like this fucking awful power up at the top of this tower and you can tell he's there yeah he's in that red glowing window and he's watching you from there yep i love how the summit now are faces that window too mm-hmm. so he's like watching what's going on in mount doom yep you can always see always see yeah so baradur 2 kind of like uh death star 2 yep. finally <laughs> collapsed into ruin on march 25th of that fabled year 3019 of the third age yeah when the ring was finally destroyed yeah and we got a cooler excerpt about that later on in the episode so don't don't fret yeah so now that we're kind of done talking about the features and geography of uh mordor let's let's briefly touch on the timeline which i'm sure most will be pretty familiar with oh yeah this will be a breeze for most of us so let's start in the first age so yeah the land of mordor it was given to the lands that were uh surrounded orodwin after melkor made it right so that's where we get the title mordor when the volcano becomes a thing yeah and this is obviously uh it's called the dark lands due to the volcanic ash various ignorous igneous ignorant rocks ignorant rocks igneous rocks and the perpetual darkness caused by ash clouds not much is known about Mordor during this time, but it is assumed it remained empty until the coming of Sauron in the early Second Age, uh, with the notable exception of Shelob, because as we know, she was there early. Oh yeah, we'll get into that in a second here too, I think. Mm-hmm. In the First Age, uh, the Druidane, you'll remember them. Remember Hanbury Hans people? Hanbury Han, the Druidane are really cool people. Yeah, we love the Druidane. We were just talking about when we were warming up the interesting history of the Druidane Yeah, people. they're very mysterious and magical and mm-hmm. kind of kind of spooky too, actually. And we do know through their tradition that they migrated west into Gondor from the lands that are now Mordor. And it's thought to be that they might be fleeing from uh, what what is now Mordor after the raising of Orodorin. Okay. So sort of some of the events being depicted in season one of the show could kind of be could kind accurate. Of, yeah. could, could, you, you could kind of lift some of those scenes from maybe this event. Oh, yeah, definitely. I thought it's it was, not a huge stretch. No, not a huge stretch. It would have been cool to actually see some of the Druidane, though, some of those dark, like, yeah. magical voodoo men, like, coming out of Mordor because now Mordor is too dark for even them. Like, yeah, dude. That'd be kind of cool to see. But anyway, so in the first age, that's when the Druidane migrated into, into Gondor. Yeah, and they later uh, crossed uh, their way into Athelion, and actually didn't know this either, became the first group of Adane to cross the Anduin. Oh, really? Yes. So let's so, get into the second age. So second age. So the first known resident of Mordor, like we mentioned earlier, was Shelob the Spider. Yes. And, well, we should say she's like a spider. Spider demon Spider thing. demon. And she settled in the pass of Kirith Duath, is what it was called then. Later, 
becomes Kiri Thongul, as we yeah. know. And this is suspected be that she w- she settled here because she was fleeing the Valar after the War of Wrath at the end of the first stage. Kind of like the Balrog and Moria. Kind of like the Balrog and Moria, exactly. Yeah. Um, Sauron chose to settle in Mordor in the year 1000 of the Second Age. Yeah, he repaired the Towers of Teeth and garrisoned orcs there, and he also built the Black Gate between those towers and began construction of Baradur One. Yes. Sauron forged the One Ring in the fires of Orodrin and used its power to complete Baradur in SA 1600. Yeah, like we mentioned earlier, it took 600 years to complete Baradur One. Yes. So, in Second Age 1693, Sauron allied with men in the adjacent lands... Uh, presumably east and south and west, right? West as well, yep. Uh, he uh, allied some. He he allied them to the aid of Mordor, essentially. So men from the White Mountains and Kalinarden. Yeah, and he used these dudes, his new friends, to launch an all-out assault on Aragian to reclaim the Rings of Power in that same year, sixteen ninety-three. Yeah, so Sauron overran Aragian for six years before aid would come on their behalf. Yeah, dude, six years of just. Just raising the place. Yeah, so this is actively the War of the Elves and Sauron, right? This is correct. Yep, mm-hmm. correct. Yep. So in the Second Age, 1701, the Numenorean navy under Tar Minister pushed Sauron back to Mordor and liberated the Wildlands and saved Eriador. Yeah, we uh, learned about that in the Rohan stuff, remember? Yeah. Yeah, when the Rovanian was uh, under occupation. Unfortunately, not in time to save Eregion specifically, but the, the wider lands of Eriador were saved, yes. Yep. So the Numenorians earned the lifelong hatred of Sauron after this that. Is, this right here is when the beef begins. This is when the beef begins, because, because he had owned as much the most land he'd ever owned at this point. Oh, right? yeah, all the way up to uh, like where Rivendell would be. Yeah after this yeah he, yeah he had like almost half or more of middle earth yeah at that t- so he, he was huge that was the most like powerful and prominent he'd ever been and then the yeah. numenorians came along Cha-cha. one for you and those dang i would have had numenorians. it if not for you and those meddling numenorians yeah. meddling numenorians <laughs> um so sauron was now focused on corru- uh after being pushed back into mordor he started focusing his um corruption of the men of the east and south so that's harad khand and rune mm. And uh, he brought them under his dominion. So over the next thousand years, he gained great strength through them, and he began to call himself the King of Men. And wh- who heard about that? A little birdie told Mr. Uh, Arpharazon of the Numenorians. The current King of the Numenorians. Arpharazon the Golden. And in the year 3262 of the Second Age, this is when the Numenorians came in force to crush Sauron. Pretty much. To, I don't even know if they were intending to crush him. Just they sh- trying to see what the fuck is up. Basically. Yeah, like, what, what are you doing, bro? They pulled up and they were like, what the fuck? Fuck is up. What is this? Yeah. You want to go? King of men shit? Nah. Yeah. Look and at yeah. these. Look at these ships. Yeah, it was like not even a fight when they like they were such an overpowering force. They literally yeah. just kind of like showed up and <laughs> everyone was like, "Ooh." Yeah, all the men of Harad and uh pretty much all these the servants of Sauron just fled when they saw the Numenorians. They yeah. were like, "We can't win this." Yeah, Sauron himself didn't even really fight. He just humbled himself before our Pharazon yep. and allowed himself to be taken captive to Numenor as their prisoner. Which meant he had no other choice, basically. He was like, "Yeah, so this he, isn't the worst choice, but like wouldn't have rather wouldn't have done this." 
yeah. Right. So after the destruction of Numenor in 3319, which Sauron had a part to play in, uh, he himself, he returns in spirit to Mordor. Yeah, he takes up the One Ring again and he resumes his rule. But he was never able to take fair form again after that. No, yeah, because his body got sunk with Numenor, which yep. I imagine was Fucks a problem. you up, yeah. Fucks you up a bit. So his spirit was freed and was able to go back, but his body was destroyed. So he had to like make a new one or whatever. When I, I don't know how Sauron constantly does it. He <laughs> loses power and then he gets power back. He's yeah. the only the only character, the only Maiar I, I know of that, that does really that. really does that. I think that's his special power. It's his special power. We think it has something to do with necromancy. Necromancy. But anyway. So in 3430 of the Second Age, in response to Sauron's sudden resurgence, this is when High King Elendil of the Dúnedain sought an alliance with High King Gil-galad of the Noldor. You might call it a last alliance. Yes. And the High Kings agreed to extend this alliance to Durin the Fourth of the Longbeards and King Orifer of the Greenwood Elves and also King Amdir of the Lorien Elves. Yeah, all the free folk in these areas are just stacked getting them all together together the king all these kings that decide to raise a great host in a complete balls out attempt to fully vanquish sauron once and for all and they become known as the last alliance and we're not going to get into this too far in this episode because we got a whole fantastic episode about that episode 41 it was a while ago but it still stands up it's a great episode it is a great episode yes go check that out so in 3434 of the Second Age, this is when the Last Alliance meets Sauron's forces for the first time and begins the most decisive battle of the war, which is the Battle of Dagorlad. This is just outside Mordor, just, yep. just north of the, the Black Gates. Mm-hmm. And Sauron's host was comprised of a variety of forces. We got Easterlings, Southrons, Black Numenorians, Dwarves, Orcs and Goblins, Trolls, and other unnamed beasts so he had a hell of a spread on his side the only people he basically didn't have on his side were any elves yep it's always just the elves yeah uh the elves remain resolute the uh the battle of daggerlad was a shit show in the beginning but there was because there was contention among the hosts of the eldar some of the elves refused the high the command of high king gilgalad yeah there was still some bad blood amongst the some of the elves the sylvan, and the, Noldor, yeah. the sylvan elves in the noldor and things so that caused some issues but eventually after some issues and a few disasters and massive bloodshed and massive bloodshed uh, while this almost proved disastrous, eventually Elendil and Gilgalad regained control of the situation and they did gain the upper hand on Sauron's forces. And the battle raged for months and there were heavy losses on both sides, but eventually uh, the, our good guys came ahead and gained the upper hand and breached the Black Gates. And uh, here is an excerpt from the Silmarillion of the Rings of Power in the Third Age. The hosts of Gilgalad and Elendil had the victory. For the might of the elves was still great in those days, and the Numenorians were strong and tall and terrible in their wrath. Against Igalos, the spear of Gilgalad, none could stand, and the sword of Elendil filled the orcs and men with fear, for it shone with the light of the sun and moon, and it was named Narsil. Yeah, so after breaching the Black Gates, the Alliance successfully drove Sauron's forces back to the fortress of Baradur. They yeah. invaded Mordor. Straight up. The remaining forces of Gilgalad, Elendil, Thanduril, Adur, and the Fourth, they all camped upon the plains of Gorgoroth and prepared for the siege of Baradur. State and Park. this is where the joke came from. Baradur State Park. Yep. <laughs> Shitty place to camp out. Yeah. The siege of Baradur started in 3434 and continued for seven years. 
Yeah, and though Sauron was con uh, was confined within his tower, he was not without any power. Now, the Alliance constantly endured seemingly endless numbers of arrows, rocks, and flaming missiles that came from the tower, as, re as well as regular counterattacks from Sauron's orcs on the ground. Yeah, the Alliance took many casualties in these years, and probably the most casualties of, uh, of the campaign. Which I is think. crazy to yeah. think about, just from sieging this just tower. Just siege, yeah. Uh, the Alliance... Uh, so in the year 3440, Elendil's second son, King Anarion of Gondor, was actually killed when his head was crushed by a stone that was launched from Baradur. Ouch. That is uh, pretty visceral. Yeah, what a way to go. Uh, one year later in uh, 3431, or excuse me, 3441, the siege became so intense that Sauron himself emerged and joined a counterattack that broke the Alliance's lines. And that just goes to show what kind of power this motherfucker had. Yep. Just him alone was able to change the tide in a battle, in a major war battle. Yeah. And they put they uh, they put they pushed him all the way to the slopes of Mount Doom, which is I think like sixty miles. So that's it's like, pretty far. Yeah. Um, and we got a little uh, a mini excerpt here from Joel. But at the last, the siege was so straight that Sauron himself came forth, and he rested with Gilgalad and Elendil, and they both were slain, and the sword of Elendil broke under him as he fell. Yeah. Dark times. So, so yeah, on the slopes, slopes of Mount Doom, Sauron fought against High King Gilgalad and Elendil in single combat. Yeah, and as we know, Sauron, much more powerful than either this elf or this man. And Gilgalad is killed first when Sauron scorches his face with his hand. He literally grabs his head. Yeah, just... His hand on his face is so hot, it kills Gilgalad. Do you think he cooks food that way? Like, That'd you, be a pretty efficient way to... Wouldn't that be cool? Like, you just hold it in your hands for a little bit? Like, you got a bowl of soup or something? Just, like, hold it in a little mm. boil. <laughs> be sick but that's fucking metal man his coffee would never get cold literally burn gil gallant's <laughs> face off <laughs> fucking crazy so nearby elrond kirdan and isildur watched this helplessly and uh, we have an excerpt here from elrond actually during the council of elrond i beheld the last combat on the slopes of orodrin it was gilgalad elven king and elendil of westerness who overthrew sauron though they some they themselves perished in the deed where Gilgalad died, and Elendil fell, and Narsil broke beneath him. But Sauron himself was overthrown, and Isildur cut the ring from his hand with the hilt shard of his father's sword and took it for his own. Yeah, and uh, at that those deaths there, that ends the last of the high kings of the Noldor. Yeah, never again would the elves have a high king. We never understood why they didn't ever crown Elrond. Is High King? Because he is Noldor. No, I say Galadriel. Or, or Gal I'm sorry, it's Galadriel. Yeah, because yeah, she... that's our beef. Why isn't Galadriel High Queen of the Noldor? This she's, is so sexist. She's pure Noldorian, and she's of the royal family. She's Fenurfin's fucking daughter. Yeah. He's literally High King of the Noldor in Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Still. What the fuck? To this day. Yeah. Galadriel needs to be High Queen of the Noldor. In Middle-earth. In the next election, guys, make sure you vote for and her. Make sure you vote for... Or Galadriel, or Galadriel, high queen. high queen of the Noldor. It's ridiculous. Like, write her in. Even the Numenorians would be like, "Oh, we don't have a male heir. We got a queen now." Yep. You know, like what? Take it up. Yeah. Come on. Also, this is the death of the first high king of the Dúnedain in Middle Earth. Yeah, this is a high kings are killed in this battle. Two high kings. The high kingship of the uh, Dúnedain was passed down to Isildur, 
And uh, there was also the death of the greatest warrior of all the Dunedain. Yeah, Elendil the Tall. Elendil the Tall. He was uh, he was a very notable warrior. Yeah, Aragorn liked him in many ways. All these things happened within Mordor. It was just a lot of a lot of death. Yeah, let's get into some more death in the Third Age. Yeah, so most people probably know Thur- uh, Mordor in the Third Age from Lord of the Rings and whatnot. Yeah. So in the beginning of the Third Age, Gondor kept watch on the land of Mordor to make sure that evil could not return. They occupied the Black Gate. They built all those fortifications that we previously talked about. There were, what, a handful at least. Yeah, Towers of the Teeth uh, being the most prominent, Narcos mm-hmm. and Carcos. The mountain fortresses of Dorthang and Efelduoth. And Kirithungal near the pass. And as the strength of Gondor failed... Evil creatures began to move back into Mordor. Yeah, the Nazgul returned in 1980, and they began to uh, prepare things for the coming of Sauron. Yeah, this is, and they took Minas Ethel shortly after in 2002, securing the pass of Kirithongul for Mordor. Yeah, Sauron, he didn't finally return to Mordor until the year 2941. That's like 900 years later, Jesus. Yeah, when he that was only when he had to because he was driven out of Dol Guldur by the White Council. Mm, that's when he was practicing his necromancy. Mm-hmm. So 10 years later in 2951, this is when Baradur is finished and Sauron openly declares himself. And by this time, Mordor has been long prepared for him by the Nazgul. Yeah, I think there was another big eruption of Orodorin at that point Mm. when he declared himself. And Mordor was totally beefed and could not be overthrown by any force of Middle Earth at this point. They that have, is what's cool. When by the time he gets there, up thanks yeah. to thanks to the Gondorians, really. Well, it, well, not only that. Yeah, the Nazgul prepared the land before he got there because it's like by the time he got there, they're so beefed that like nobody can fuck with Sauron at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and they had taken over all the strongholds that all the men had. Oh built, yeah, and now that it's just a super fortified land. Oh yeah. So on March fourteenth of thirty nineteen, this is when Frodo and Sam made their way through the Morgul Pass, carrying the One Ring. And they had the intentions to make their way across the plateau of Gorgoroth to Ordruin to destroy the ring. Yeah, 10 days later on March 24th, the host of the West arrive at the Black Gate and they're hoping to create a diversion for the ring to be destroyed. And we got a little uh, excerpt about that moment from Joel. They came within a cry of Moranin and unfurled the banner and blew their trumpets and the heralds stood out and sent their voices up over the battlement of Mordor. Come forth, they cried. Let the lord of the black land come forth. Justice shall be done upon him, for wrongfully he has made war upon Gondor and wrested its lands. Therefore the king of Gondor demands that he should atone for his evils and depart then forever. Come forth. Yeah, and then they also parlay with the mouth of Sauron, but negotiations go nowhere. I love that scene in the movie. So good. The I extended guess editions. Was, give me say, I guess that concludes negotiations. <laughs> I guess that concludes negotiations. <laughs> um, yeah, and on the next day, March 25th, the host of the West challenges the armies of Sauron. Yeah, and the battle that that comes from this lasts just, uh, just long enough for the One Ring to be destroyed by Sam and Frodo in the cracks of Mount Doom. Well, actually, I shouldn't say by Sam and Frodo, more by Gollum. By Gollum, by fate, yeah. Secret hero of Lord of the Rings, Gollum. Secret hero. So when the ring is destroyed, Mordor essentially completely fucking falls apart. And we got a fun little excerpt here from The Return of the King, Mount Doom. Towers fell and mountains slid. Walls crumbled and melted, crashing down. Vast spires with smoke billowing up, up, 
until they toppled like an overwhelming wave and its wild crest curled and came for came foaming down upon the land and then at last over the miles between there came a rumble rising to a deafening crash and roar the earth shook the plane heaved and cracked and orodwin wheeled fire belched from its riven summit the skies burst into thunder seared with lightning down like lashing whips fell a torrent of black rain Ooh, black rain that doesn't sound good acid rain that's not good better (laughs) take a shower after that yeah so the black gate and the towers of teeth are essentially totally destroyed in this earthquake Mm -hmm. and baradur held together by the power of the ring previously now just collapses finally and oradrun also erupts big time big league big league yes uh, and a bunch of flaming rocks that shoot out, they all kill the Nazgul in the sky. That's pretty sweet. That was Yeah, that was fun to watch in the movie, too. That was pretty dope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Frodo and Sam are ultimately rescued by uh, the eagles. Uh, 50 bucks if you can tell me the e- the three eagles that rescue them. Oh, I can only tell you one. Mm, really? Yeah. Okay. It's Gwahir, Landreval, and Menelduer. Yeah, I don't remember Landreval and Menelduer ever. Landreval is uh, Gwahir's little brother. I knew one of them was his brother, but I never remember the and eagles' Mid-Eldor names. And Medeldor is like their top warrior. I only remember Gwahir and uh, Thorondor. Yeah. Medeldor is like their champion. Mm. That's why they brought their toughest three. Oh, yeah, yeah. To pick them up. The Lord of the Eagles and then the, the two tough tough the tough guys two yeah. tough guys that's why that meme like the third eagle was for smeagol or whatever yeah that's like kind of bullshit because they just brought their three toughest dudes it wasn't like well it was fucking gold cool. yeah like they just brought their the best homies like let's ride yeah but uh yeah so that's essentially brings us to the end of our discussion on mordor guys yeah so a few final thoughts about mordor it's a it's a pretty nasty place yeah, wouldn't want to be there. The nasty place for nasty people with nasty shit, nasty water, nasty plants. Nasty everything. Salty ass, oily water. It's, yeah, it's just nasty all around. Acid rain. Yeah. Fucking pits and crevices. Like. Yeah. I enjoyed learning a lot about the geography and geology from Karen Wynn Fonstad, though. I loved, yeah, reading a lot of Karen Wynn Fonstad's from from the atlas that was that was really cool yeah that was really the first time i think we've actually pulled like some of that some of her words the, the text yeah, yeah. from the the, uh, the atlas we, we use the atlas all the time like yeah we we love now you guys get a little idea of why we love karen when fonstad so much because yeah. she's just she's awesome and we love her atlas and she explains all this geography so well so well she tries to find real world explanations for everything she does a really good job mm-hmm. even even when it really was just Something that Melkor did in the first yeah, stage. <laughs> she had a whole explanation for it. She had a whole it. explanation for it. Uh, we love you, Karen. Rest yeah. in peace. I also never really realized how great of a fucking stronghold a mortar was, especially in the Third Age. Right. That's insane. It was locked down. Yeah. It's like huge, massive walls on three or four sides, and then the any, control the pass and, any entrance yeah. has at least two towers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least two towers guarding it at all times. It's yeah. crazy. Pretty sick. But yeah, so good shout out to the Atlas of Middle Earth again for a really great win, and uh, thank you, Karen Winfonstad, for everything you did to do for us. Yes. So, guys, next week we got what? Episode 73. There's 73 episodes already. That's fucking crazy. That's going to be nuts. But next week we're going to talk about the Elven Realm of Eregion. Eregion. This heavily, is also... Uh, heavily touched on in the show. Yeah, exactly. And... um. 
Yeah, this is going to be, again, with our theme of relevance to the show. <laughs> our theme yeah. of relevance. Yeah. Yes. Hopefully, you, yeah, this, this Mortar shit was fun. And, yeah. Uh, Kaz of Doom was really fun, too. Mm-hmm. And Eregian's going to be just as fun. Eregian's going to be very interesting. So that's all we've got for you today, guys. Thanks for listening to Keep on Tolkien Podcast. Of course. And uh, as always, a big thank you to our KOT patrons. Go subscribe to, to us on Patreon. It really helps us. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash KOT podcast. Yeah, and that just helps us bring the same great content that you enjoy um, with the same level of quality. Um, subscribing can also unlock some cool exclusive bonus content. Yeah, we also do private one-time donations. If a you know donation monthly donation subscription is not your your speed, that's totally okay. We can make it happen. Yeah, we have PayPal, other services. Just uh, hit us up on social media and or email. Keep on Tolkien at uh, podcast at gmail and we'll make it happen. You don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, what have you. Just go to that website forward slash Keep on Tolkien. Stay up to date with all of our new episodes, and while you're there, don't forget to rate us or give us a nice review if you like us. If you don't, you can move along. Move along, please. <laughs> uh, follow, make sure you follow us on social media. Join the Discord. I cannot stress enough, you guys, how much you need to join the Discord. That's where most of the life is, yes. I, I feel like, nowadays. We spend our a lot of time. Our community is li- straight up on Discord. So if you if you, if you you consider yourself part of the Tolkien community, you got to get on there, guys. Jump on there. Yeah, join us, share some memes, talk to us about all the stuff we're talking about, all the current events, everything. And me and Joel are constantly on Discord. We use it for our personal lives, too. So Yeah, the server name is Keep on Tolkien Podcast, but there will be a link in the description of this episode. Yes, and also in our YouTube videos and stuff like that, too. So... And uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at KOT Podcast. If Twitter is still a thing when this episode comes out. (laughs) Yeah, if Twitter still friggin' exists at this time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, things are a little up in the air right now with all the Elon Musk (laughs) shit. So, yeah, we'll see about that. And then uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, which also is not doing so well recently. (laughs) No, if these platforms still exist when you're hearing this, follow us there. Um, yeah, make sure you join that KOT Talk group and uh, ask us some questions and discuss with other listeners. And uh, also Instagram, which is also attached to Facebook, I guess. But uh, yeah, follow us there too, at Keep on Tolkien Podcast. Yeah, and again, don't forget to check out our new merch store. We really love our products, guys, and uh, we would love you to own some too. It's really it's really sick that we can do this. Uh, yeah. And uh, T-Mill is a great website. It was hard to find an ethical t-shirt company, but I think we did a good job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So check us out. Yeah, check us out. That's keep-on-tolkien-podcast.tmill.com. That's all we got for you today, guys. I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N. And we are... Keep on talking. Oh, Ray and Tulu. <laughs>